we all feel better. I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And we're back here again with another episode of Better in the Dark. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it. They break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years. Got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for our benefit. Go watch a Halloween look time rather spit. From Marvel at the movies to the Bond series. Almost two years they bout to hit 50. Episodes that is don't get it twisted. And from the start these two have been gifted. Tom Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. We make some movies that don't need your name. Watch out studios, it won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn inside of Jay-Z. My name's B. Haven and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. At least I shall have the pleasure of putting you out of my misery. Here's the latest Mr. Paul. We're back again, and of course, we have renewed our licenses to kill. That's right. Got our martinis. Shake, Shake it, not stirred. I'm wearing my tuxedo. Tom's wearing his tuxedo. And we've got this new car that Q has delivered to us. Because we are going into yet another James Bond episode. That's right. This is the fifth episode in the series, which is going to be 12 episodes long. In each episode, we take two James Bond movies and we just talk about it. And Some of them we go talk about better than others. Yes. <laughs> this is the fifth one we're doing. We're one deep of, into Roger Moore mania. This is an interesting episode because yeah, you've got... going to get to that. One of the best. One of the absolute best. Not just Roger Moore, but best... best Period. James Bond movies. And, and one of the worst. One of the worst. They both have the same plot. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's the same story, but one's done really incredibly well, one's done like shit. If you've been following this series, and I hope you have, then you know I'm not much of a Roger Moore fan. I like Roger Moore, I just don't care for Roger Moore too much as James right. Bond. However, The Spy Who Loved Me, right. that's one... That and it's he, one of the ones that he gets hit me... It, he hit it out of the park. It's one, one of the ones that gets me so angry at Roger Moore because you look at that and you go, Yeah! This is what we could have had! And, and I think that that's what bugs me so much about Roger that, Moore. That he's such an inconsistent... He'll make one James right. Bond movie that'll make you want to strangle him. Then he does something like The Spy Who Loves I think the fact of the matter is, Roger Moore is a lazy actor. And he doesn't want to take the effort... That he shows here and later on that he shows in both For Your Eyes Only and Octopussy. Yeah. He would rather just sit back and make jokes and be goofy. And crack the one line. But in this one... This is truly an amazing film. This is a high point of the series, Mm -hmm. period. Now, originally, the next film that they were planning on doing was For Your Eyes Only. Right. But they decided rather to do Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Loved Me was a novel that apparently Ian Fleming was so embarrassed by, he had written in the agreement that he made with Eon Productions that they would never, that they would never do, yeah. adapt the book. <laughs> but because well, have I, you ever read the book? The book is pretty awful. Yeah, the book is told, for those of you who don't know, and I'll be willing to bet that there's quite a few of you out there who haven't read the original it's one. From the point of, this is, it's told from the point of view of a woman who James Bond rescues from a couple right. of mobsters. You know, they're petty mobsters, mm-hmm. you know. They're not much of a challenge for a guy who's taken down Spectre and Goldfinger. They're at a remote Canadian resort or right. something like that. And he rescues her from these two goons. It's told in a very turgid... <laughs> well, it's from the point of view of the woman, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, that's how it's told. It is not a typical James Bond story. I've got nothing to do with spying or anything like that. It's how this woman falls in love with James Bond. Not the stuff of a James Bond movie right. as we know it. No. So Cubby Broccoli and Albert Salzman. So actually, I think at this point it's just Broccoli because Salzman had left right. the series mm-hmm. after Man with the Golden Gun. So Broccoli decided he liked the title. Mm-hmm. So he went to Guild Rose Productions, which was the company that was managing the James Bond property. Mm-hmm. on behalf of the Ian Fleming estate, and asked if they could just buy the rights to the title and just come up with their own they come with story. Their own story. Which, of course, led to the fact of what the hell kind of story are we going to do? <laughs> and there were a couple of really interesting 
possible script. There was one about an art thief mm. who had identical female triplets as his henchmen mm. called Tic Tac and Toe. There was one written by Carrie Bates, famous DC Superman scribe. Yeah. I would love to have seen this film because mm. it, he said it started out with Spectre having a meeting and this group composed of the casts off from the Bader Mainhoff gang and Red Dawn and all these mm-hmm. real life terrorist organizations. The weathermen and all the people. Guns, yeah. Too extreme for them. Break in, annihilate Spectre to the man, mm-hmm. and become the new Spectre. Their deal is they're nihilists. Mm-hmm. And they want to destroy the world. And supposedly the climax was a situation where Bond is pleading with these people please, this world needs to live. It's like, we don't care. <laughs> you can't negotiate exactly. with these guys. Yeah, they don't want anything. <laughs> I have to believe that it's this rather than, as you said before, you only live twice. They like the nugget of the idea of somebody who did not want money or world power or anything. They just wanted that world to go away. Yeah. They took that nugget and kind of reworked it into the script that we eventually got for The Spy okay. Who Loved Me. And shall we go into the plot? Okay, Let's the plot. Go. We start off where James Bond is, of course, making love to this beautiful woman. They're in what? The Alps, they I believe. The Alps. Alps. Although yeah. the scene was shot on top of Canada's Mount Asgard. Wow, okay. We'll get to why in a yeah. moment. But the woman is there to delay him while there's apparently a Russian hit squad mm-hmm. is coming to take out Bond. What follows afterwards is a remarkable, amazing ski chase. One of the many that we traditionally get in the James Bond movie. But this one ends very badly for a couple of these Russians. Especially one that we find out later on. That we see what we saw earlier in bed with Triple X. Yeah, played by Barbara Bach. She's the Russian female James Bond. Right. Quite literally. James Bond escapes from the Russian hit squad by taking this amazing leap off of a cliff that goes over like two minutes. You say, when is he going to stop falling? And that's when the, the parachute opens. Pops open yeah. and it's the Union Jack. Once again, in the tradition of Eon Productions finding out about great stunts that somebody's pulled and buying the rights to have them be recreated, the person who did the stunt was Rick Sylvester. They eventually chose Mount Asgard because they needed a certain amount of space right. for him to remove the skis and safely right. the parachute. Yeah, because he kicks off the skis right. like, during the fall. They actually worried that the freefall portion mm. of that stunt was lost. But luckily, one of the cameramen caught the whole thing. Because you remember, that thing is done in one take. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It makes it so remarkable. That one cameraman was lucky enough to catch the whole thing in one take, which is the one they ended up using. I don't know exactly how long it is, but I'd be willing to bet it's at least two minutes where he's just falling. And you Mm -hmm. say, well, damn, when is he going to hit bottom? It's one of the moments where you say, well, how is James Bond going to get out of this one? He gets out of it, and as we find out eventually, Russian and... American submarines are disappearing. The, the British government has determined that somebody has devised a way to track... To track previously undetectable submarines. Undetectable submarines by detecting the wake. The wake from the sub. And of course, the British, since they're neutral, and nobody wants right. their submarines anyway, they're well, the ones the, picked to investigate. the very first scene, we see that it's a British submarine is the first one that's taken. But I thought it was a Russian... Usually this is what happens in these the plots. The British, the Russian one is taken off screen, and the American one is taken towards the end of the film. Right. That's the last one taken. That's the last one taken. Because usually what happens is mm-hmm. that they try to get the Russians and Americans to fight it because the British, nobody's taking their right. shit. They just say, well, we'll let them investigate. <laughs> right. Like it, you only live twice. Right. Where it was Russian and American spaceships. So James Bond, he's investigating for the British government. Their lead takes him to Egypt. One of the things I love about this film, Mm. it has perhaps some of the most fucking amazing backdrop. They make the most of their locations in this They got that beautiful nighttime scene where the people out there Uh, watching watching a presentation on the pyramid. Yeah, and that's a wonderful scene where the lights are going off and on. Particularly when we see the lights, when they go off and on, reveal a certain member of the cast that we're going to be introduced to very soon. Yes, we are. We should mention that Barbara Baku plays Major Anya Amasova. Amasova, yes. Woo, I got that in one. She's also investigating. And, and they, so they're both in Egypt. They're both in Egypt. In and Cairo. their paths keep bumping occasionally because they're both trying to figure out who's got this device that right. can track down these submarines. If they find that, 
then they'll find now there's a third person who really wants to find that device oh yeah a gentleman by the name of Carl (laughs) Stromberg who lives in an underwater mansion nicknamed Atlantis Atlantis played wonderfully by the German character actor Kurt Jurgens. Kurt Jurgens, yes oh I can't say enough how great this villain is First of all, he's got webbed fingers. (laughs) This is why I think that this script kind of grew out of the Carrie Bates script, because Mm. the first time we see him, he's doing a Blofeld. He's got these two professors coming in and going like, congratulations on completing this device. However, I have some bad news. Somebody stole the device's schematics. And so has tried to sell it to somebody else. And he's like looking at them and going... Excuse me, Miss, you know, this is the secretary. Could you go get this for me? Mm-hmm. And she goes into the elevator, and it turns out it's her. And it's her. And she gets yeah. fed to his pet shark, which makes sense in this film, unlike in Thunderball. And what is really hilarious is that after that, he pays off the guys, yes. and then he sends them in the same elevator, <laughs> and they're not going, and they're looking at each other like, yes. and he ends up blowing them up yeah. anyway. He blows up the money and a And then we are introduced God. to his three major henchmen. Sandor. Right. Who is this big, hulking, bald guy who is played by the actor who played the mute butler in Dr. Fives Rises Again. Okay. Naomi. Naomi. The ultra-smoking, absolutely incredible Carolyn Monroe, who serves as Stromberg's helicopter pilot. And seven-foot-tall Richard Keel has Jaws. Who, when people think of... Bond henchman usually it's either our job or George yes. they think of first. I mean, he's visually striking. He's seven foot two, and he's got a mouthful of steel teeth. teeth. And he has these succession of increasingly bizarre suits, then mm. increasingly bizarre shades of blue. I can't imagine what it would take to outfit that guy. The wardrobe must and, have went crazy. They, with they him. make the best in this film out of putting him against normal sized people to just show just how huge he is. I mean he's seven foot two. There's like one scene where he has a fight with Bond at one point and he literally wraps his head yes. around his head. <laughs> his, his entire head and picks him up. Yeah. You can see how big his freaking head is. It's incredible. Now Stromberg is a guy he worships the sea. He loves right. the ocean, and he thinks that these land-crawling creatures are destroying the underwater world. Right. It's his mission to save the underwater world from right. mankind who is raping it and pillaging it. So they're going to bid on this device, Bond. And one of the things I loved about Anya as a Bond girl mm-hmm. is... They make no bones about this. She is as smart as he is. Yeah, I would say that this is probably the first time that we've really seen a woman who is Bond's equal in a lot of ways. And, and the thing that I love about it is the way they develop the romance between them is you get the impression Bond is kind of turned on by this. Yeah, yeah. And it really appreciates the fact that she is as equally as intelligent as he is. This is like the first woman he's met since his dead wife, Tracy. And in so fact, there's, like, there's a know, moment. They're sitting in a bar. Oh, yeah. giving his bio. She goes, many lady friends, but only married once. And it hits a nerve. Yeah. See, Roger Moore plays that because you can just see the expression on his face. Don't go there. We just want to emphasize, as much as we deride Roger Moore in other episodes for being a goof, this is hardcore Bond. Yeah, he's not playing on And we one. get our first indication that when Sandor, the third henchman, mm-hmm. gets into a fight with him, and he beats the shit out of the guy, it ends up on a rooftop. On the roof, he's, about, he's teetering on the edge of the rooftop. And he grabs Bond's grabs tie. Bond. And, and Bond is just standing there, and that's the only thing that's stopping him from falling off the roof. And we get this. Where's Beckish? Where's Beckish? Damn it! Once he gets what he wants... What a helpful chap. He knocks away his hand, the guy goes over the roof, and he just fixes his tie and goes about his business. Now, see, when I saw that, I said, see, that's like some shit Sean Connery would yeah. do. That was hardcore Bond right there. You sit there, you go, so this is what Roger Moore could have brought to the table. Thank you. He's this way all throughout the movie. Yes, he still makes the dopey quips, but because we see him be just a badass, it makes them... Yeah, you can swallow the jokes a yeah. little bit more. And really, his jokes are t- uh, toned down in this one. Yeah. He's not throwing them off every 30 seconds, as he will in our next one, which mm-hmm. we'll get to, but let's go back to The Spy Who Loved Me. They have an encounter with Jaws in yeah. the desert. Because they know. both show up at this presentation we The presentation. About. It's a beautifully shot scene. We've mentioned this before. You have these different colored lights illuminating the pyramids. The pyramids and the Sphinx. And, and yeah. director Lewis Gilbert keeps cutting back to this one shot with the Sphinx in the background. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. where the lights will go up and there's Jaws and he looks like part of the pyramids himself. Yeah, there's a guy who's got the device that on he's, him. And well, Jaws, he's acting as point man for the and, person who has the thing. And Jaws ends up killing him. In a very, which we, I think it's a very creepy scene. And you know? we see him take him down to one of the tombs and it's locked with a chain. He just mm-hmm. takes the chain and just shoes through it. Incidentally, those chain links were actually licorice. Anytime he had a bite from yeah. chains or metal, I heard that that's what they used. Good for him. They go into that wonderful, it's an extended scene where they're in the desert and they have to get the device back from Jaws. Yeah. First they like, go to the club to meet the guy who actually fetish. has the device. And they have these dervishes performing. Gilbert later on becomes a real hack. But in this film, he's rising up to the material. Because there's this wonderful sequence where you know, Bond and Anya are... Mm. Sitting down with the guy, getting ready to bid, he gets a phone call. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Jaws is snuck in as the phone repairman. Yeah, the phone repairman, yeah. He's in the next phone booth. Like, this guy can actually yeah. sneak into some place. So that when he goes to answer the phone, Jaws is there, and uh, we don't see what happens, but we do see the we aftermath. And he's got his throat torn out. But what I like also is that while they're sitting there, Bond and Anya talking, and each one of them rattling off each other's bio. It's like a strange game that they play all through the movie. Can you top this? Mm -hmm. Because both of them are supremely knowledgeable about what they do. They're always trying to top each other. There's just some excellent cutting between the murder scene Mm -hmm. and the dervishes. Dervishes are getting more and more frenzy. Yeah, frenzy. Yeah, with their necks. I don't know how they do that without breaking their neck. So Bond and Anya chase. Jaws. Jaws out to another beautiful set where they're restoring some more ruins. Yeah, ruins. And they try. Their dad just to (laughs) put him down. Once again, the way that they build this character up Mm -hmm. to be a serious, oh my god, threat because they do everything they come up to and including dropping a whole bunch of scaffolding on him. Right. Ramming him with a van and he still keeps coming. And he's ripping the van apart yeah. and Anya's driving yes. it and she's ramming it and Bond is just sitting there saying, you might want to put this in reverse. You may want us to get us out of here because right. Jaws is ripping this thing literally to pieces while she's trying to kill him with the damn van. And it's not working at all. Jaws even drops a rock on his foot at one point. Well, no, at one point he's about ready to draw a rock at the van yeah. as the van's pulling away oh. and he just goes, looks, goes, and drops it, and he, it does fall on his foot. Even though it's funny, you take it seriously, though, mm-hmm. because on some level you see that Anya and Bond is taking it seriously, even though he's sitting there having his foot. And even though you've you got, know. like, the occasional thing, like, you have the shot of this broken-down van running through the desert, and you hear goofy martial music. You can almost forgive it. Yeah. And eventually they find their way to a boat that will get them to Cairo, and Bond gets double-crossed. Of course. They're having this little cozy talk about, oh, you're cold, we're cold. And she goes to get a cigarette, mm-hmm. goes to get the lighter. Turns out it's got sleep S- no, sleeping gas. Now, Bond makes his way to what I guess is the Egyptian branch of yes. MI6, which is inside of a tomb. M always has these cool hideouts right. all over the world. And he is with- greeted when he opens the door, not with M, but General Gogo. General Gogo, yeah, old friend. Once again, I love Gogo as a character, and you can get the feeling that this is the, the first seed that blossoms mm-hmm. ultimately in For Your Eyes Only. That wonderful scene we'll be talking about. And I uh, love how the general is just sitting there with this big shitty yeah, grin right. on his face. When Bond walks in, and Bond is like, well, What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> the general is just like, How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? As it turns out, Anya is there also. Right. Because they have decided, the British and the Russian Secret Services have decided to pool their resources and work together. They've decided to make a deal. And Anya has brought to the table what she thinks are the actual plans for the device. But as Bond says, I'll only let you steal them because they're not the real plans. Right. They're, they're fakes. Very, <laughs> she's like, no, it's legitimate. He said, yes, but certain key elements have been removed. In the meantime, while they're bickering back and forth, Ev and General Gogol are sitting there. And every time Bond gets one like in, Ev is like going, go Bond. And every time Anya gets one in, oh, very good triple A. <laughs> you know what they like? They're like two proud poppers. Yes. Watching the kids back and forth mm-hmm. and they're constantly getting a one up machine on each other it's a funny wonderful scene so, well maybe Q will figure something out about this well, of course so Q's mm-hmm. looking it over and they find that there's a symbol mm-hmm. on the place where they, they place the plans before they, they a watermark it. A watermark that leads them to Stromberg. Right, because it's the insignia right. of his company. Which leads them to the island of Sardinia. And, of course, leads them to probably the second most famous car in the history of the Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. The Lotus Espirit. The Bonquillus brought for us. Isn't it nice? 
attention, Governor Seven. I want you to take great care of this equipment. There are one or two rather special accessories. Do you ever have a lecture on? Frequently. seven spirits in the world. Okay. It took a week to build these things by hand. Wow. The Lotus Company lent Eon Production seven fully functioning Ooh. Lotuses plus three shells. Why do they need three outer shells? Put it in the water. Well, that's one of the things I found clever about that sequence is unlike the other Bond movies where you get the scene where Q explains everything almost in the order in which it's going to be deployed. It's going to be used. All yeah. you see is Anya looking at the two of them having this little conversation. And then we learn that this car is amphibious. It's amphibious. So they go to Sardinia disguised as married marine biologist. Yeah, Bond is supposed to be a marine biologist as she's posing as his wife. Isn't it around this time that Anya discovers that Bond was the uh, one? Yeah, around roughly about this time well, right, discovered roughly right about where that. they're having this casual conversation about the spy trade and they're really cozying up to each other at this point. Mm -hmm. They feel very comfortable with each other. She takes out her cigarette, he goes to light, he says, oh, this is a wonderful lighter, where's it from? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, from Austria. And he mentions the exact locale right. where her fiancé died. Right. And she goes, what happened there? Did you kill somebody? Right. Rather than lie, I think this is the sign of how much he respects her. He goes, he was in this business. Right. Well, just like you and I, he knew that death was just around the corner. Yes, I killed him. It's a wonderful moment that showed you what Roger Moore could do with the James mm -hmm. Bond role when he took his serial. He doesn't try to lie as wherever. He said, listen. This is the business that we're in. He right. knew this could happen at any time. And when somebody's pointing, and he tells her flat out, somebody's pointing a gun at you shooting, you don't stop yeah, that ass. Exactly. You shoot back. She <laughs> says, then you'll forgive me, then after this mission, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, I guess that puts a damper on the evening right. festivities. They actually go out to Atlantis and they meet, they meet with, with Stromberg. Stromberg. Stromberg is no fool. No. Figures out who they are, because earlier, Jaws has attacked them on a train. And that's the one where you think where he's rabid. Bond by the head yeah, and putting him to the ceiling. Yeah, and, I mean, just throwing him around like he's a dog. He knows that this is James Bond, so he tells Naomi, well, you know what to do with he him. Says, get rid of get him. Get rid of him. Yeah. Which results in this chase where at first it's a motorcycle guy with a missile sidecar. The whole sidecar is a bomb, apparently. Yeah. I love this, this little touch. It's Jaws and this gunman in the back. Mm -hmm. And at first, Jaws is shooting until he runs out of bullets. Then he goes back to driving. Then the gunman sticks out, and then Jaws comes out and grabs the gun from him because he wants to be the one to kill Bob. And, like, Bob, and like Jaws is so big that he's taking up the whole yeah. car. And then, of course, you get your girl. She joins oh, him yeah. to the chase. She, she likes it, apparently. And it's, and it's actually a lot of fun because she waves playfully she, at yeah, Bond. And he waves back. Uh, and that's when we learned that, that the car, car is amphibious. Bond drives it off of the edge of a cliff. The car was fitted out by Perry Oceanographics, which mm -hmm. is a firm that specializes in creating one-man submarines for the Navy. It was fully functioning. Really? It was able to operate that's underwater. It really worked. Cool. The only difference was, and the reason why... You'll notice they never showed you any side views when it was underwater. It was because the passenger seat mm -hmm. was replaced with a water chamber. Because mm. they couldn't use a ballast because ballast would have made it too difficult to maneuver. Mm -hmm. And so what you had was you had one scuba diver who was operating that thing during the underwater sequences. Oh, okay, cool. That was pretty freaking sweet. Yeah. I still say that is probably, outside the Aston Martin, the second most famous car Oh, yeah, because he, like, they go underwater and everything is flipping over yeah. and got death gauges and, that's and the, all that That's cool the thing stuff. I find it so clever that they don't have the usual, well, if you do this, this will happen. Because we're discovering it as Anya discovers it. Right. No, and she figures it out because but she explains, oh, well, we saw the plans two years ago. Yeah, because she blows up the helicopter. Right. She blows up the helicopter. They blow up the, the submersible that's pursuing them. Mm-hmm. Because she drops the mine. But I know she blows up something. Bob says, well, how did you know about that? She said, ah, we saw the plans for this two years ago. <laughs> you know, again, that one-upmanship. But unfortunately, it springs a leak, and they got to go back up right. on land with that 
dumb scene with the dog running away and and the guy drinking the alcohol sign to give it up Mm -hmm. not seeing it although I love the arrogant look on Bond's face because everybody's gathering around this car that just came out of the water Mm -hmm. and Bond just looks back at it with this just supreme I'm entitled to the and just drops a fish and drops a fish out Bond in this film is a badass I know you don't agree with me I still say that that guy that was drinking the wine and that it's the same guy that shows up later on in Moonraker it wouldn't surprise me. It I think that it looks to me like the same guy doing the same bit. Yeah. When Bond comes out with the gondola. He looks at his bottle and he pours it out and does something. He might also be the guy later on in the film, the guy in the shack, mm-hmm. when Jaws' car goes over right. and rams into the shack. Yeah, right. And Jaws comes out. And, and does the same thing. Eventually, they find out that Stromberg has got this super tanker. Yes, like because those. they saw the model and they did some research and realized... This thing has not gone to any port of call. No, no port of call at all. In all the years it's been built, and it's the biggest super tanker right. in the world. So they get transferred onto an American to submarine. To an American submarine, which gets swallowed up by this super tanker. Right. And as we find out, the other two submarines are, are in there. there as well. Stromberg has kidnapped all of these submarines. He's got the crew under lock and key. Now we learn of Stromberg's plan. Ah. Where he is going to send two of these submarines to destroy New York and Moscow. And Moscow. And Bond, you go up and see him kind of like rolling his eyes going, all right, well, how much is the... You know, because he's, he's like, been through this shit before. What you know, price? Okay, what do you want? The price that you want for not blowing <laughs> up the city. He's like, no, you don't understand. I'm not looking to change the world. I'm looking to remake it entirely. His plan is to just destroy the surface world. Right. Meanwhile, his little group of select people are living down in Atlantis and create this new, this, this new, this utopia. new utopia under the water. And then presumably future generations will come back on the land after it's been... After the, the radiation is Right, and then out. they'll form a more perfect union, right. I guess. Bond has been through this crap so many times that this is like old hat to him. He escaped. He tells the underlings he's going to take Anya... Which shows that Stromberg has taste. Yes, he does. Yeah, because he takes her and he leaves. Takes her. Puts her in this really hot gown. Yeah. And ties her to a chair. Because he goes back to Atlanta. And she's like, I know. He actually apologizes. I'm sorry you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But given your proclivity for violence, I figured it's best to keep you restrained. Exactly. This leads to one of the best action sequences in any James Bond movie where James Bond frees the crews of the Russian of the and three, the American. Yeah. So yeah, and they just like... And this is one of the things don't. I love about this film as a whole is that you're always constantly seeing these two warring factions working together. Yeah. You know, the British, the American, and the Russians laying waste to Oh, yeah, place. they're just blowing shit out of everything. I mean, they're wiping out Stromberg's boys left and right. There's actually one scene where Bond loses his gun, and this Russian sailor who's right behind him just taps him and gives him his. Yeah, so it's a nice little, what's that word, detente yeah. thing that they use in this. Which is know. apparently what inspired Cubby to create this triple X character, was this whole spirit of detente. In fact, it was the, the policy Soya's mission. He said, well, that would be kind of cool to have Bond work alongside a Russian mm-hmm. as an ally. So, after they have this colossal battle inside of the thing, Bond's still got to figure out how to reprogram the submarines so yeah. that they won't fire on New York and Moscow. He actually gives them instructions to fire on yeah. each other. So they blow each other up with the nuclear missiles. He gets on a jet ski and he heads for Atlantis. Well, first, the American sub gets the orders to, to level Atlantis. Right, goes, but yeah. Anya's on there. Give me an hour. It's like, no, no, I can't. And like this is this, from the yeah. president. And like by this time, him and the American commander become good buddies. Yeah. He says, okay, I'll give you an hour. And he yeah. goes to Atlantis on this jet ski that yeah. Q helpfully provides him with. How he knew he was yeah. going to need a jet ski. Hey, but that's why he's cute. Yeah. So he goes to Atlanta. I think they give him like an hour to get, yeah. her, get her off. And he gets on there for his final confrontation with Jaws. First, Stromberg's like, I've been waiting for you, Mr. Bond. Mm-hmm. Come on up. What we find out is that he's sitting at this long table that we've seen a couple of times when he's like eating. We finally find out is that there's a gyrojet The longest gun. plastic gun barrel yeah. in the world. First thing he does is he tries to drop Bond in the shark tank. He presses the button. He's waiting for Bond to drop it. <laughs> but he doesn't drop it. And then the elevator door is open. And Bond is... Yeah, he's on the corner. Break up against, against the wall, says, yeah. I guess you were expecting me to drop in. The thing is, because we've had badass Bond for the last two hours, mm-hmm. these type of quips sound a little more badass. Yeah, yeah, we don't mind. Bond ultimately dodges the bullet, literally. Stormbreak invites him to sit down, yeah. relax. And he tries to shoot Bond up under the table. Because it's like a spear yeah, gun. It's, it's, a, spear. Like a, regular, yeah, it's, it's like, like a gyrojet. 
Bond, he just takes his gun, puts it in the barrel, yeah. and just shoots Jurgen. The implication is he shoots Jurgen in the wedding tackle. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's oh, like, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then, even after he shoots the guy twice in the package, he gets up, comes yeah. over closer, and yeah. pops him a couple more times. Yes. I said, damn, Bond. Bond don't fuck around in this movie. Yeah. He walks right up to the guy, Caps him two more times. Then we have the, the confrontation with Jaws that you were talking about, mm-hmm. which ends because of a rather convenient electromagnet. Why Stromberg would have a giant electromagnet suspended so above a pool? You have no idea, but it's there primarily so that Bond can capture Jaws by his metal teeth right. and drop him into the pool with Although the shark. You get the one memorable scene of Jaws looking gleefully as the shark is coming towards him, yeah, and beating the shit out of the shark, eventually killing it. And in the meantime, Bond. And Anya, of course, they get off of Atlantis by means of a convenient escape pod. The signal is going beep, 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 and it's picked up by a British ship that's got M aboard and General Gogo, which of course leads to the humorous conclusion. Finding them. The second they get up on the surface, Anya's got the gun trained on him. Right. The mission is over now. Right. And he's got nothing but a bottle of champagne. See, he's back to thinking about knocking boots. <laughs> right. And he just goes, in my country, the condemned man is allowed to last request. And she goes, granted. Don't you think we should get out of these wet clothes first? Next thing we see, yeah, they're doing the, the animal with the triple backs. And that's the end of that movie. I put this in as one of the, the top three favorites of the series. Yeah, this it, is just so amazingly good. This is a very, very good... This is good enough to have been a Sean Connery part. Yeah. Well, it's got the wildness of these later Bonds where it seems like Broccoli almost lost sight of the realism mm-hmm. that made the early Bonds work. But it's got this badass Bond. It's got an amazingly good villain. Stromberg is a great villain. Barbara Bach has a real presence and there's a real honest-to-God chemistry, chemistry going exactly. on between the two of them. Exactly. It makes that romantic plot line all the more plausible. All the henchmen are terrific. And for once in a Bond movie, you can honestly see why he's attracted to yes. a woman. She's not there just as candy. Far right. from it. She's not there for being appendage for Bond just mm. to stick every time he's bored. She plays a real part in this whole thing and the romance between she them. She is a full is partner. Be- is believable. And to give the screenwriters credit, they do take up a considerable time building up this romance right. between them. I rag on Roger Moore, but this one, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. Well, like I said, this is one of the ones that makes me angry at him because you sit there watching this going like, this is what you could be doing. All of your bonds could have been like this, mm-hmm. but no, you ended up wanting to be the clown suit. And I think this one, for the longest time, this held the record as the highest grossing bond. Not really. Really? That distinction is owned by our next subject. Arg! I'm serious! Get out of here! I'm serious! It had, at the time, the largest budget of any Bond movie, and it also made the most money. But it was the worst one. Oh, I don't know. We still haven't gotten to View to a Kill. Oh, man. How could I forget that one? But this is in the top two. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It, it's a toss-up as to which is worse. I would say top kill. three because you also want to put Die Another Day up there. Well, no, I know I, you like it for I like sentimental that. reasons. I yeah, just think it's crap. I, when Die Another Day, I just get up and leave the room when yeah. the opening credits are on. Okay. I can't stand the credits. Speaking of credits in this one... Let's do a little bit of background. Okay, Once again, again the at background. the end of Fire Love Me, the credits came up. James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. Which Broccoli had been promising now and for what? Broccoli <laughs> had started working on the script for mm-hmm. what would become For Your Eyes Only. However, something happened around 1977. Around the time that Fire Love Me was being made and mm-hmm. was released. A little film by the name of Star Wars. Star Wars. And as much as I hate Star Wars, Star Wars became a major phenomenon. Then came this other film called Close Encounters of the Third, Third Kind. Right, right. also made a lot of money. And so, Broccoli felt that the public's taste was towards a more science fictional movie. So he decided to put a hold on For Your Eyes Only and started work on Moonraker, which had a space type of theme that they could exploit. Well, for it's this weird one. because the book, if you remember, is about a Nazi pretending to be a British war hero who wants to get revenge on England by dropping a nuclear warhead on Parliament. So that was what Hugo Drax was all about. They had originally approached James Mason yeah, to play, yeah, to play, to play Dra- the character right. because they thought, Nazi, pretending to be English, that's James Mason. Who would have been a lot better oh, than what we eventually the, the got. The we got. Who's probably the worst Bond villain. 
ever. The other thing that they were really interested in was the, the building of the Enterprise, the first space shuttle. Right. Well, all these elements were kind of like thrown together in a pot, and the fact that Jaws was a major, major oh yeah hit I mean, with the fans. I mean, so yeah. that was thrown in the pot yeah, too. Jaws toys. That was the first henchman. Since Ajab really captured the imagination yeah, yeah. of the public. So they wanted to see him back. back. Yeah, so that got thrown into the park. What they ended up deciding to do is, rather than come up with an original story, you know, that last film did really, really well for us, so let's just do it again. <laughs> there were a couple of interesting possible choices. For example, they went with Lois Childs because Lois Childs came this close to being Anya. She was the runner-up, so they figured, well, we'll use her for this film. They had approached, check this out, look at who they tried to get to do the theme song. Kate Bush, Johnny Mathis, and Frank Sinatra were all approached about doing the theme song for Moonraker. Oh, okay. Eventually, they ended up going with Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey, my girl, thus finishing her triple play: Goldfinger, Goldfinger and Diamonds, are, Diamonds forever. are Forever, and Moonraker, making her the only singer who has done more than one Bond theme song. It's a beautiful theme song. I love the theme song. That's about the only thing about the movie I do like, even if it comes on TV. And I do have it mm -hmm. just for completion's sake, but usually if I watch it, I watch it on TV. Yeah. Like if it's coming around, I'm doing something So else. I guess we've been putting this off. We better talk about the plot. It has a plot? Yeah. The Spy Love Me plot. Oh. All I remember is that it's some nonsense okay. about Drax kidnapping his own space shuttles. Mm -hmm. When we first open up, just like with Spy Love Me, opened up with a submarine being kidnapped. Mm -hmm. In Moonraker, we see the Moonraker, Drax Industries' new space shuttle, mm -hmm. being hijacked. Hijack. Then we cut to Bond <coughs> being brought home for an assignment. Mm -hmm. On a little small airplane, which has apparently been hijacked by Jaws. That leads to... Which begs the question, how did Bond get on the plane without noticing that Jaws was, was on, on there the too? Yeah. It turns out everybody on the plane except for Bond is against him. Because <laughs> he's making out with the stewardess, and the stewardess turns out to be part of the plot. Right. And the pilot turns out to be, because the pilot jumps out of the plane. Yeah, he jumps out. And then right. Jaws shows up, and then there's this running gag where... Jaws will open his mouth and a little metal tooth smile, mm -hmm. and Roger Moore will give what I think is supposed to be kind of like a smile, but it looks like he's just had some bad stomach distemper. Yeah. And then they have a fight, and Jaws throws him out of the plane, pitches him out there with no parachute, which leads to this weird free-fall fight sequence between him and Jaws. First... He's got to catch the pilot, because the pilot's yeah. got a parachute. So Bond does this thing where like, he holds his hands at his yeah. side, and he literally flies through the sky. Now, I should mention, uh, this whole sequence was overseen by the U.S. jump team, by the skydiving team, who designed special parachutes mm -hmm. that were only an inch thick when folded up, so that they could be hidden under suit for this whole opening sequence. Yeah, because I remember reading someplace, I don't know how true this is, they had to do something close to 60 to 80 jumps yeah. to get all the footage mm -hmm. that they needed for the things. They would jump, do whatever they got to do, and go back up and do yeah. it again. It's a thrilling sequence, but for some reason, it just leaves me cold it because also, it's got that thing where yeah. Jaws drops into the, the, circus, the tent. circus tent. I think the thing is, it also sets up the fact that Jaws, who in Spy Love Me, is a seriously scary motherfucker. Mm-hmm. In this film is just Wiley e. Coyote. No matter what you do to him. Although there are little glimmers. There's the sequence in Brazil, which is kind of like a ripoff of the sequence. Oh, where he has the mask. Where he has he the mask. Down. He's yeah. coming down there. Where, once again, you get a sense of the absolute menace Richard Keel was able to portray. That's kinda, yeah, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, so like you have the girl and she's waiting and this guy's coming down with one of those big headed masks mm -hmm. and she's just thinking it's just a party and then he takes off the mask and it's, and it's Jaws. Jaws. Yeah, yeah. And he's about to bite her when these revelers come in and break it up. Mm -hmm. But he's totally misused in this film. Hopefully we will not talk too much about Mrs. Jaws. Oh, my, no, I don't even want to mention her. It's just so many stupid things that they have Jaws do in this movie that completely takes away any menace that right. he has. Except for that one scene that you just cited. He falls through the tent and he just walks up and just brushes yeah. himself away and walks up. Okay, if this was a Mel Brooks version of James Bond, I could yeah. go with it. But supposedly we're supposed to be watching a serious James right. Bond movie. Bond is asked by M to investigate the disappearance of... Since Drax is the French national mm -hmm. who has British citizenship. He is asked to investigate the disappearance of Drax's Space show. Space show. Which brings him to Drax's estate in California, Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. where he has apparently moved his entire villa in France brick by brick over there. Yeah. 
here comes one of the biggest flaws of the film, which is that there's no pretension that Drax is anything other than a supervillain. Yeah. Usually, when we're first introduced to the bad guy, at least he's trying to make out like he's straight up and down. The guy just reeks evil right from the first scene. I mean, the, one of the first scenes, just as Bond is leaving, get, which is the one good line he has. I think mm-hmm. you and I will both agree. Look after Mr. Bond. See that some harm comes to him. Okay, admittedly, that's funny. It's but all it's- that kind of attitude. He plays that same note all throughout the whole movie. The actor who plays him, what's his name? Michael Lonsdale. Lonsdale. I haven't seen him in anything else, but if this is an example of what his acting style was like, I'm glad I've never seen him in anything else. He is a French actor who also appeared in The Day of the Jackal, Chariots of Fire, Remains of the Day, and Munich. So really? he gets around. I've seen Day of the Jackal and yeah. Chariots of Fire. I don't remember. Well, well, maybe he was a lot better in those yeah. than he was in this one. This is the biggest problem also, is that he's such a dull villain. He's boring. Stromberg was very laid back, but he was dramatic. He had presence. You knew you was up against somebody. Yeah. And him and Bond have, like, the one of the worst scenes that they have in there is when he invites Bond to go out hunt, and he's got a guy that's in the tree, and the guy has a sniper rifle, and he's supposed to shoot Bond. Now, Bond shoots the guy. Right. And he falls out of the tree. Bond gives him back the shotgun and says, ah, oh, such good sport. Now, Why doesn't Bond just take the damn shotgun and go, and shoot Thank you, and shoot him. And since he knows that the guy's trying to kill him, Drax knows that Bond knows, yeah. then there's no reason for him to let exactly. Bond live. But he well, lets There, there is like the one attempt that they make on his life in the gravity machine. Oh, that won't oh, no. Please. Although, before that, we get to meet the designated Anya replacement, Holly Goodhead. Can I help you? Yes, my name is Bond. James Bond. I'm looking for Dr. Goodhead. You just found her. A woman. Your powers of observation do you credit, Mr. Bond. Now, I just want to be fair here. Lois Charles is pretty damn good in this film. Yeah. She just has the misfortune of, A, following one of the greatest Bond women ever, yeah. and B, being stuck in one of the shittiest Bond movies ever. Exactly. So once again, there is a chemistry between her and Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. She is a well-rounded character. Right. More of a specialist, though, than Anya is, because she's an astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. She's able to do all the heavy science lifting for him. Moore cracks me up the way he says, a oh, woman. Oh, it's so almost perverted about the way he says, ooh, a woman. <laughs> I say, what, man? You've never seen a woman before? Said, what is your problem? There's a bunch of Hopping around the globe in this film has... Bon- well, let's cut to the chase. What Drax is trying to do, he's got these perfect people. As we see when he visits the estate. And by the way, Drax also has a henchwoman mm-hmm. who happens to be a helicopter pilot. Like, this is such a shameful rip of the last film. It's just a couple of elements shifted around here. Somewhere, but him, instead of where Stromberg was going to move his people uh, underwater, underwater, Drax has built his own space station. Right. So what he's going to do... He's going to take all of his people, put them on that, and he's got this, this uh, chemical weapon that is from South America. Right. So they go to South America, they go to Brazil, which is going during Carnival. There's another chase scene there with Jaws in a speedboat, and then they go to Venice for some. I don't even remember why they go to Venice. They go to Venice because in the glass factory, that's where they're yeah. making the globes that right. is going to hold this biological okay. weapon. Because at the end of the movie, remember Bond has to shoot yeah. down the three satellites right. that have been deployed. So he's supposed to shoot them down with a laser beam that's in one of the space shuttles. I find it very interesting that James Bond apparently is cleared to fly space shuttles. Yes, with no problem at all. One of the biggest jokes I can remember about this movie was when it came out. I'm sure you remember. This is when we had the hostage crisis overseas. Yeah. In Iran. Now, in this movie, United States Marines fly up there to rescue James yeah, Bond. Yeah, we didn't know we had space marines until that movie. Everybody was running around saying, oh, well, they can send the marines up there to help James Bond, but they right. can't send them to Iran to I get know. our people back. <laughs> but they're running around with laser guns. Right. And it's supposed to be all very Star Wars-ish shit yeah. with people running around. I mean, I, I can't take this movie. I, it is a terrible, terrible movie to sit through. I do think there are a couple of redeeming moments. Ken Adams, his eyesight was beginning to fail during Spy Love. In fact, a little bit of trivia for you. As you know, they built the James Bond studios during Spy Love because Adams comes to Albert Rockley and says, there's no place I can find to build this set I want to Right. Build. So he says, so let's build it ourselves. Let's build our own set. Right, the so, famous 007 So they set, built the yeah. 007 soundstage, but his sight started failing. He couldn't light it correctly. However... 
he had a good friend by the name of Stanley Kubrick. I've heard that story, yeah. So Stanley Kubrick did light design on that set. The yeah, Stromberg, the, the, right. The Super Tanker set. Yeah. There's even a story, I don't know how true this is, you probably know more about yeah. it, that, that Stanley Kubrick actually did some second unit directing work he during helped, that yeah. sequence. He was helping his friend Ken Adams out. Yeah. Ken Adams did a great job for him in uh, Barry Lyndon. Mm, right, Barry Lyndon, where apparently what I read was that they actually worked together and invented a new type a of new, camera exactly. that would work with natural light. light. We're about ready to say goodbye to Mr. Adams because mm. he gets to the point where he can't work. But yeah. There are some beautiful Ken Adams sets in this one. I'm yeah. thinking particularly of the Mayan Temple's launch pad. Now that's a good set. That yeah. is such I an amazing it. piece of work. It's a damn shame it had to be wasted on a movie this yeah. bad. And also, the space station is really interestingly designed. Yeah. Apparently, the- Adams did some work with some anthrophysicists to make sure that it was a feasible design. Mm-hmm. Once again, a pity that it was wasted. Because it's got the two yeah. running from each of the modules, mm-hmm. and the whole thing is turning. Mm-hmm. That's how they create the artificial right. gravity. Yeah. I have people all the time telling me that they think that Moonraker is one of the best James Bond movies. Oh, but I'm God, sorry. What are they on? I, I can't take it. I, I watch it, and I just want to put my and foot the, through And the of screen. course, you get things like, whereas in Spy Who Loved Me, we had the Lotus Asperia. What do we get here? We get the hover gondola. Yeah, oh man. And the pigeon doing the double take. You had the guy that was in the coffin who throws the knife at Bond as they pass by. The boat had no pilot. How yeah. did he know when to sit up at the exact yes. moment to throw a knife at James Bond? God, it's such a terrible... And it shows Lewis Gilbert at his worst. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that when they ask Gilbert to do the Dalton films, mm-hmm. they really rein him in. Yeah. To the point where on the special editions mm-hmm. for Living Daylights, Gilbert shows footage that he shot, which was another variation of the people drinking mm. and seeing Bond do something crazy. Apparently going, that was a gag. That was his, what, he yeah. loved that gag. They do really inappropriate stuff. Like at one point, Bond has to get inside the lab where they're developing this stuff at it. He presses the keypad and it yeah. plays the five notes from Close Encounters. Yeah. Do, do, do. Mm-hmm. They do stuff like that that just makes you want to groan. And I guess some people think that's cute, that's funny. I don't. I think it's stunk. I think it's stupid. I thought that this was a film that did very poorly, and that's why they did this total, absolute back-to-basics film right after it in For Your Eyes Only. But this film, until GoldenEye, was the biggest grossing Bond film. Wow. In history. It was more of a case that For Your Eyes Only was a story that Broccoli wanted to tell Mm -hmm. and kept putting off. But I think the biggest sin of this film is it is such a bald-faced remake of the previous film. There's nothing new in this. Even Roger Moore looks like he's tired, but he gets to do his one-liners every 30 seconds, which he loves doing. The gadgets aren't interesting. The gondola isn't interesting. Oh, and that little, like, dark gun. That's not interesting. The bad guy isn't interesting. That is the one essential thing you need for any James Bond movie. A credible bad guy. No, I think you could get away with a dull bad guy if you have a great second henchman or a great... Bond girl. Mm-hmm. You have to have one of those three. Yeah. Look at From Russia with Love, which we gave high marks on. The main villain was kind of weak. The Bond girl was really weak. What made that film? The henchman. Yeah. Was Red yeah. Grant. Yeah, you, you're right. You have to have one of those three, and they take the one thing that potentially could have saved it, which is Jaws, and turn him into a sideshow freak. Car- yeah. yeah. He's a Warner Brothers cartoon in this one. All you need is four corn leg or jumping out. That's a joke, son. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say, you're really tall. I say, I say, uh, I say, don't take this movie too seriously. It's, it's a, a joke, joke. son. <laughs> oh, I guess by now, you guys know what we think of Moonraker. So to review, we a thousand percent absolutely recommend one of the greatest of the Bond series, The Spy Who Loved Me. Absolutely, with no reservations whatsoever. This is one of the films, if you're curious, that you should start with because it gives you everything you want in a great Bond film. What I'm noticing more from in my communications I'm having with younger movie fans, a lot of them don't know where to go back and start with the right. Roger Moore mm-hmm. movies or the Sean Connery movies. If anybody asked me what Roger Moore Bond they should start off with, I'd give them this one. This one, and then I would probably give them For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. After that, I'd let them go for themselves. Start with those two, definitely. And we a thousand percent do not recommend... They badly Xeroxed oh, copy yeah. of Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker. The only reason I would advise anybody to 
watch Moonraker is if you're a James Bond fan and yeah, just for completeness, for sake of watching. It saddens me because they totally destroy after spending so much time building him up Jaws. Yeah. And they yeah. waste Lois Childs, who is a really good Bond girl. Very good. So she's wasted it. And you have to wonder if she was in a better Bond film if her career would have gone better. The elements are there. They got great sets. They got the Mayan Temple. Yeah. I love the meeting room that doubles as, as a launch yeah. pad. All the seats go down and then mm-hmm. the thing opens and it's got great sets like that. The Glass Factory. Yeah. Well, the Glass Factory was an actual World War II Luftwaffe airplane factory. Ooh, cool. Those wonderful rooms in Drax's villa. Mm-hmm. Was shot in, apparently, a National Museum in Cologne. You're right. There are moments where it looks really, really nice. And there are moments where it looks really, really cheesy. Even that speedboat. That's a damn cool speedboat Mm -hmm. that he had. It turns into a glider again. But then, of course, again, now they ruin it. Right after that, he has that stupid fight with an obviously fake snake. Oh, my God. Luckily, folks, the good news is we don't have to think about the next worst film in the series for two episodes. Okay. Thank goodness. Thank God for that. We got two really good films. Yes. We get For Your Eyes Only, we get Octopus. And Octopus, next, right, next yeah. So that's one way up thumb, one way down thumb. You got that shit right. I guess it's time for administrative, folks. Yes, Tom's going to do his little administrative stuff. You know the dance by now. If you love us, if you hate us, if you want to tell us that you thought Jaws was well used in Moonraker... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in which case you're crazy! <laughs> you can send us an email at betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a message on our Podomatic page while it's still in existence, you can go to betterinthedark.podomatic.com or you can join our mailing list at groups.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash betterinthedark. And that's it until the next time, which will be gone about three issues hence, like we've been doing lately. Mm-hmm. Where we will be covering two good ones. Really, honest, we mean this. Honestly, we're going to be covering two good ones. So we'll have nothing but good things to say. Actually, about with it. the exception of From a View to a Kill, which is two episodes hence, we've got some pretty good stuff coming up. Because then after that, we deal with the Timothy Dalton. Oh, I can't wait till we get to Timothy Dalton, which we've talked about this many times. Timothy Dalton, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, he is the most faithful to yes. the actual James Bond of the books. Yeah, we That's get, what he's playing. Because we get the two Timothy Dalton films, we get Goldeneye, and then it's back to shit after that. Ah, well, you know, that's Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan was okay. But, well, you know my contention about the Pierce Brosnan films. We'll get to that when we get oh, to Oh, yeah, well. It'll make good discussion of nothing else. So until then, it's good night, Mr. Bond. Yes, we're going to put him to bed. And, and you and I are going to go back and continue to... We have one more episode to shake and yes. <laughs> And until then, he's been Derek Ferguson. And he's been Thomas DJ. And this has been Better in the Dark. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what seven-foot-tall giant you tend to piss off, go, go see, see that movie. movie! Good night! Good night! Oh, by the way, thanks for deserting me back there. Every woman for herself, remember? Still, you, you did save my life. We all make mistakes, Mr. Bond. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to B-Hyphen and Chivalry of the Hip Hop Manifesto, Eric and Kelly of Podcrawlers, Mike and Jen of Earth2.net, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark would love to have an amphibious sports car, but wouldn't know what to do with it if we got one. Older episodes of the show are archived at bitd.lipson.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Interact with the hosts and the fans of this podcast at the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas E. J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember... That everything sounds funner if you say it like Foghorn Lanehorn. I might have guessed. Do you know him? Not socially. His name's Jaws. He kills people. 